You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Jody McLeod is a writer and an ultra trail marathon runner. Since moving to the Blue Mountains nine years ago, Jody has channeled her creative writing into publishing a children's book, Leonard the Lyrebird. At the same time, Jody has immersed herself into long distance running, going on to represent Australia at the World Trail Championships in Portugal. A sense of adventure and exploration continues to stimulate Jody's creativity as she moves into publishing a second children's book with a mission to educate and inspire the next generation. Jody joins us virtually for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Jody, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. Great to be here. Now, Jody, you grew up in Wagga Wagga, which sits along the Murrumbidgee River in southwest New South Wales. What was your childhood like? I had a really wonderful childhood. I grew up on um, five acres just outside of Wagga, so a country girl through and through. And yeah, we had lots of animals, but mostly horses. Horses were the big focus when I was growing up. So I was riding from an early age and um, competing uh, in horse riding and my sport was eventing. So that's dressage, cross country and show jumping. And that was pretty much my religion for (laughs) all my childhood years. Yeah. And so I just had so much freedom and um, yeah, it was wonderful. That kind of element of freedom and, and free play, was that something that your your family really instilled into you from a young age to go out there and explore and see the world? Absolutely. I had, yeah, so much free reign uh, from like age 10. I would just saddle up the horse and ride for, you know, kilometres and explore and um, go to nature reserves and just you know, jump random things and gallop up hills and drop the reins and gallop no hands. And like, there was just no, there were no rules on the horse. Like it was amazing. So yeah, that really did instill, um, I guess a love of nature and being outdoors and, um, feeling the thrill of going fast in and just sort of moving in the world. And, um, yeah. And I, I, I guess I carry that through to today do you think for any child growing up in you know, rural or regional towns there's some kind of benefit to them in terms of connection to the land outdoor space do you think there's a certain kind of resilience that gets built up in, in country kids absolutely I think um, you know I, I live in the Blue Mountains as you know in um, Bullaburra and I have two kids ages six and four and I'm just, they're just getting to the point now where their their confidence is growing so much with the outdoors and like climbing trees and 
um, exploring creeks and, and discovering new trails. And, and it just reminds me of my own childhood where there was so much freedom. And I, I just, um, yeah, I think growing up in the country really allows you the space and freedom to be able to experiment with all those things and, and experiment with your, with encountering fear and danger and dangerous situations and getting yourself into predicaments and getting out of them again. So definitely the space invites that kind of exploration as a kid, which I'm trying to um, develop in my own kids as well here in the Blue Mountains. That leads me into my next question, actually. You oh. described to me your, your kids are resilient, kind, good-natured, creative and curious, which is a fantastic mix. And, and more, I guess, touching on that curiosity, has it been a conscious decision for you to instill that freedom and exploration and, and to push the boundaries um, for, for your kids? Yeah, it's really interesting um, because you think that comes naturally. And <laughs> with kids, you know and modern parenting um we give them so much when they're so little now that um perhaps we unconsciously remove some of that freedom to become curious about things so i've noticed with my own kids um like you know we we wish things upon them we wish them to be curious and but you know what it didn't actually like click in for um, I mean, yeah, one of them until sort of just recently, I think it's something they grow into. They, when they're really young, they're just taking, absorbing. Um, and it's to do with their personality as well, but you can't control your kid's personality. It's just got to come into its own. And it's been interesting to see my, my kids, while I desperately want them to be curious, I wanted them to be curious from day dot. It's something that's slowly developed. And, um, but now that it has been sparked, we're just opening up all those opportunities for them to go further and explore those curiosities. So, yeah, it's interesting to see their personalities develop. And do you think uh, in society, maybe we've got a little bit too structured with things? And I, and I empathise that for a lot of people that is challenging and, and they do need structure around that. But I often wonder if that kind of element of free play has disappeared from, I guess, what our upbringing was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just noticed with my own kids, even though we're in a, you know, a quiet place, just to have them out on the nature strip near the road makes everyone around us nervous. So I've had like neighbours knocking on my door saying, do you realise your child is in your driveway? And I said, yeah, they're in my driveway. That's okay. Like the everyone's on such high alert with keeping kids safe and um and I just I definitely have the mindset of let them go a little bit. Um but yeah, I'm sorry, I've probably lost my train of thought here, but um yeah, I, I encourage my kids to get out there, explore, do things that scare them and um try not to be so helicoptery. It's a very good point. And do you find, just jumping back to your childhood, that the time, the hours and hours and hours spent with horses you know, on a property, do you feel there was a special bond with the horses as well? You often hear people say that, you know, the horses can pick up on your emotions or your behaviours. Did you find that growing up? Yeah, absolutely. They, having a friendship with a horse when I was young was probably the best thing for 
my and any kid's mental health, just having an animal and pets and, um, but yeah, with a horse, they put so much trust in you and you put so much trust in them. So there is this unspoken connection that is really deep and nothing like I've ever experienced. So that was incredibly special growing up. I, I sometimes regret that I haven't yet given my kids that own that same opportunity because we don't live on enough land and that horse riding hasn't sort of become a part of our lives. But, um, but I hope to expose them to that as they grow up. They've, they've been on horses and they do love it. But um, yeah, going, it takes it to a, ne- a new level when you've got your own horse. Now, Jody, you are a writer across a very broad range of topics and, and experiences as well. What was it about your upbringing that kind of instilled that love of the written word? Oh, I, I actually always credit my older sister. She's two years older than me, Ali. Um, she was an amazing writer. And I, I do remember the moment when I thought, ah, that's what I want to do. I remember she came home from one day at high school and she'd written this beautiful story and she got like top marks and she read it out. And I just remember feeling like, oh my gosh, that is so amazing that what that just came out of your mind and onto the page. And I was just so inspired and in awe. And I thought, that's what I want to do. And then I, um, so yeah, I just started honing my, story writing skills and tried really hard and and it was always a highlight for me the um story writing in English and that throughout high school and entering story competitions and so it's always been a theme in my life yeah and off the back of I guess having that epiphany were you able to uh, push yourself and develop yourself in that space through your schooling years as well yeah, definitely. I was very fortunate to have a, an English teacher who saw my curiosity and um, he really stretched me in that area and um, encouraged me to enter all kinds of things. And, and so I followed that and um, it led me to applying for a creative writing degree. So my whole university education was based on that. So, hmm. And for your, your honours degree at the University of Wollongong, uh, you were tasked with writing a short novel. What learnings mm. did you take from that experience? <laughs> oh, gosh. That was tough because I, at the time I had an idea of the kind of writer that I wanted to be. And the work that I was producing didn't match up with that idea. Um, so there was that kind of conflict inside of me of, I'm not good. I'm not the right. I'm not a good enough writer that I, you know, even though I was getting great marks and it was all fine. Yeah. I, I couldn't reconcile the idea of being a writer and, and what I actually was. So I almost, I've never read over the work that I produced in university because I'm just too, I think it would bring up too much too many strange emotions so I've just left that and um instead I just instead of like becoming a creative writer at that point when I graduated I dived into journalism so um I kind of let let that lie that whole part of me the creative writing part of me for a long time before I got back into it 
and the shift into journalism took you to writing and editing for magazines. What did that involve? And was it more kind of prescribed than creative? Yeah, it was. But in everything that I write, there is an element of creativity, of course. Um, and what I discovered in journalism is that I really enjoyed the craft of creating a story. Uh, and my sort of style of journalism was more feature writing. So I really enjoyed the process of interviewing and um, selecting the bits of information that I was given and compiling it into a structured piece that informed and entertained the reader. So I really loved the craft. Um, yeah. And so, yes, it did give me a creative outlet for sure. It's just a different, different kind of creativity. And was it fulfilling for you or was there still part of you that's going, oh, I'm still missing that, just that little <laughs> bit more of creativity? Yeah, it's interesting you say. I remember because I did a lot of writing for the arts and um, interviewing artists and performers and writers and musicians. And um, I remember thinking one day, I'm writing about all these people. I wonder if one day I'll ever be written about. <laughs> you know, I, I remember thinking, I'm all I'm doing is doing PR for these artists who are actually making the art. Where is my art? And, and I knew I, you know, it was playing a role in um, bringing art to the world. But yeah, I was definitely aware of that um, distinction between being the PR person for the artist and the, um, and not being the artist. <laughs> that was, that was the, always the goal to be the, the creator rather than the interviewer. I guess that throws back to your point from your sister about that realisation that you can put what's in your mind onto paper. Um, mm. Did you have those thoughts kind of bubbling away in the background whilst you're doing the journalism and PR? Yeah, all throughout my life I've been a side project person, always dabbling in um, creative projects. So I always, always had something, some hustle on the side, but um, whether that was writing music or yeah, songs or doing random bits of art or or writing, uh, you know, forever writing in my notebook of just thoughts and ideas and, yeah, it's, it's always been there. Nine years ago, Jodie, you moved to the Blue Mountains and started your own copywriting business. How did you adapt mm -hmm. to that change of pace and change of lifestyle? Yeah, it was a real, really big transition. So I went from editing magazines um, and I had a, a sort of a six month transition where I was actually commuting from the Blue Mountains to Sydney to my publishing company, which was horrendous. I do not recommend it. Um, but then once I transitioned uh, to working from home, I've always sort of had a bit of working from home time in my career, but um, this was full time working from home and I loved it. Like I, I'm sort of, I guess I've had a lot of experience in working from home and I just adapted to it so quickly. And especially living here in the, in the blue mountains, um, you know, with all these places to explore, but I guess that's actually when I really did um, start sort of getting into longer distance running because it was a way for me to explore this new place that I'd moved to and really get to know the 
landscape here because growing up in Wagga, I found, you know, there's so much space in this rural um, landscape, flat, not many trees, um, you know, big open sky. And here in the Blue Mountains, it's, we're high up and we've got heaps of trees and the sky, even though where there's so much space here, um, like the sky is kind of closed a little bit. And I, I remember thinking, oh, I just don't understand this environment. So running during that time of working from home really helped me to get to know this place that I lived in. Did you find that was working from home enabled you to kind of build the day around your creativity? And, and what I mean by that is I feel like, you know, your traditional nine to five, Monday to Friday is actually restricting people's creativity day to day. And I think the current landscape that we're in as the, as the world at the moment has probably unlocked a bit of that reflection creativity. Is that what you found that you could build your day to what suited you a lot more? Yeah, definitely. So when I was working for flying solo, my day, I'm a real, real early bird. So I would get up very early and I would start working at like seven or six even and knock over all the important tasks straight away. And that's when I'm most, um, you know, focused. Um, and then for sure in the evenings, um, that's when I kind of feel more creative. So definitely I could adapt my, um, my work life around my natural rhythms of yeah, creativity and focus. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Jumping ahead a little bit here, Jodie, after the birth of your two daughters, who are now four and six, you had an urge to do a creative project. Uh, you mentioned you'd been kind of, I guess, bogged down a little bit. You had the commute going. Was that urge, was that a resurfacing, do you think, of an old passion or was it a, an urge that you hadn't experienced before? Yeah, I, I think I just got to this point where I was like, for this whole time, you know, through my career and, you know, I've only dabbled. I haven't seen a creative idea through to completion you know, in a way that's consumable for an audience. I just sort of done it for myself. So I really wanted to see a project through to the end. And by that, I mean, yeah, if it was to write a song to record it or to, if it was to write a book to publish it. So that was my goal. And, um, and yeah, definitely I felt like this was the time when I was in this sort of transition period of being, a mum looking after little ones, not having full-time work um, and only having snippets of time to utilise for, for creative work. Um, I thought that was the perfect, you know, time for pouring, pouring my energy into something creative. And yeah, so once my youngest was in daycare for a few days, I just said to my husband, I've got to have these two days to just knuckle down and do something 
creative and, and I did it and I'm very happy with how it turned out. <laughs> it's an interesting point you make there that it, it was quite a deliberate and conscious decision to, to allocate the time. Is that something you'd pass on to other writers? I was going to say prospective writers, but everyone's a, a writer to some degree. But is that some advice that you would pass on is to allocate the time to have a bit of a line in the sand moment? Mm, absolutely. I, I think too often we think that to get started on a creative project, you have to be sort of overwhelmed by this light bulb moment or you have to, um, you know, only listen to the muse when it takes you. Uh, but no, I'm a firm believer in if you want to be creative, you need to be disciplined as well and setting aside some time to where you just focus on that and, and say, okay, for these next couple of hours, I'm just going to get something down. And it's like, it's like opening the door, <laughs> like leaving the door ajar for a creative, for creativity to happen. If you don't sit down and open that door, it might not flow out. Um, but you know, you walk around with that door closed all the time, but you've got to make the conscious decision to let it come through. And if it doesn't, that's fine. But you're, you know, you're just setting aside that time to keep the door ajar. And I think that's the, the way to bring out creativity. And not even just recently, but going back, you know, a few years, did you find that the hardest part was just getting started? Once you started writing, as you say, the, the words started to come and it kind of promoted creativity. Is that what you found? Definitely. So once I, I had a bunch of ideas that I was going to pursue and I went down a few different paths and rabbit warrens and then uh, one idea particularly stood out to me and I did just get an overwhelming feeling of this is so right it just feels right and I know this is going to work and a full belief and once I had like that belief just overwhelmed me I just started and it it literally just all fell into place it was um yeah it was it was unreal how it happened uh, I just sort of it was just a process from then it was very e easy in terms of um, I didn't have to force anything I just did the process and the work was created that kind of urge or, or decision making even it came to fruition in 2018 after you wrote and self-published the children's book, Leonard the Liarbird. What inspired the story of Leonard? Yeah, well, it happened when uh, there were a few moments, but the first big one I remember, I was working at my kitchen table in my new house in the Blue Mountains, and I heard a bird down in our backyard, and it was a kookaburra, but then it changed into a currawong, and then it changed into uh, some sparrows, and and I thought, is that one bird or like lots of birds? And I went down and it was this gorgeous lyrebird doing this incredible performance in my backyard. And I got it on camera and I just thought, you know, I'd kind of heard about lyrebirds, but I just had no idea how incredible they were. And I thought, because I'd, I'd had this story that, uh, had this idea that I maybe wanted to write a a story a children's story based in the blue mountains and then i just thought oh my gosh here is my here's my main character right here so um yeah it was a combination of that moment and also knowing that i wanted to read my own children a story 
that was set in the Blue Mountains so that they could understand a bit more about this place or, um, yeah, feel a connection to this place. Um, and I actually, I actually sourced, looked online for a story set in the Blue Mountains and I uh, couldn't find anything except for one um, golden book, an old golden book written about the legend of the three sisters and I ordered a second-hand copy from a second-hand bookshop online and I read this golden book to my kids and then the next day I took them to see the three sisters and just looking at the fireworks go off in their brains when they touch the rock of one of the three sisters and said you know it's just like the story and they're replaying the story in their minds as they as we're running down the path towards the three sisters and it was just overwhelming this excitement and I just thought oh it's an amazing experience to read a story and then have it confirmed in real life and I just thought I wanted to do that for other kids in the Blue Mountains so I had my recipe the the character and then this idea of a Blue Mountains story. So for you for you Jodie I guess it was a, a bit of a combination of wanting to educate to a degree you know, children about the, the local area, but also to inspire them and inspire their sense of creativity. Is is that the case? Yes, definitely. The yeah, the I guess the message in the book is, or the the idea behind the book is to um, foster a connection between children and nature, and particularly the the Blue Mountains. So when they do come to this place, um, they have a sense of what it's about and the animals and the the landmarks and and things they can discover here but it, but more generally it's about connecting children with the Australian bush. Yeah it's a fantastic message and again like we, we spoke about earlier it's so important that that connection to land for for any child growing up is so important because that's where their own sense of discovery tends to come from as well. From a, a writing point of view how long was the turnaround from that initial idea to publishing the book yeah i i wrote the story sort of over a month um and i just sat down every night for like 20 minutes in between putting the kids to bed and myself going to bed and just chipped away and edited and re-edited and once i had the story i uh i needed an illustrator and i wanted to work with someone from the blue mountains who love this place as much as I did. And I found this incredible artist online and I approached her. I just sent her an email and I said, I had this idea and she wrote back and said that, yes, she read the story and she loved it and let's meet up. And it just sort of um, snowboarded from there. But the timeline uh, was I wrote the story in May. I contacted Eloise in I think July and we started crowdfunding in November and then it was published the following November. So it sort of took about a little bit over a year from idea to published book. And were the timelines that you, you mentioned there, were they set in advance? Like you talked about being disciplined an important part of this process. Had you set yourself deadlines and dates or was it a little bit roll with the punches and see what happens? No, I definitely did do a calendar and schedule and I knew that I wanted to have the book published by book week in uh, 2018. And I 
think I'm pretty sure it hit that timeline. Um, and there were a few snags in the way, but I accounted for difficulties. So I sort of built that into the schedule. And um, so when the hiccups did happen, um, you know, Eloise having other commitments or me having other commitments that that was all factored in. So we were able to stick to our schedule. Mm. And what was that feeling like for you, Jodie, the first time you held the hard copy of, of the book in your hands? Mm -hmm. uh, pretty incredible. I was, yeah, it was really amazing. I, because it's, yeah, to see an idea go from concept to creation and holding the, the real thing in your hands is, um, just so wonderful but I guess even more overwhelming has been hearing the response from readers and from kids and parents and just knowing that this thing um, is in people's lounge rooms and sparking creativity in young minds and sparking ideas and sparking inspiration and thoughts and dreams like that is the most incredible feeling so and read the feedback. What do you what do your daughters think about it? <laughs> they do love it. They do love it. Except, <laughs> um, I don't read it to them often because I don't want to wear it out. Even though it's definitely worn out, because they see that all my attention and focus is going into this Leonard the liar bird. Um, I we were in a car trip recently, and Leonard is actually one of Kindling Kindling Radio's um, uh, recorded stories. It was one of their stories of the week, and so it's an option when you're listening to their story time uh, stories. And I said, "What about Leonard the Liarbird Girls?" And they both went, "No," <laughs> which is not to say that anyone shouldn't listen to it. It's a wonderful recording, but. Yeah, that just gives you a taste of, yeah, they're, sometimes they're a bit over it, but they know how special it is to me. So sometimes they'll pull it off the bookshelf and and um, they'll say, Mum, can you read this? So that's really nice. It must be beautiful for you to consider that, you know, 20, 25, 30 years down the track that they'll have that opportunity to read that book to their kids and it's something that can be passed down the generations as well. Yeah, gosh, you know, I hadn't even sort of thought of that, but yes, that is amazing that that is really wonderful i hope they they won't have tired it but tired of it by the time their parents <laughs> and jody you're currently crowdfunding for your second book uh, lila the lila lyre bird i should say tell us a little bit about um, i guess the inspiration here and, and where you're at with that process mm. yeah well i i always wanted in the back of my mind i knew that um i wanted to write another story featuring Lila because uh you know I'm very aware that the majority of children's books have male protagonists and um I was sort of channeled into doing that too with Leonard because uh male lyrebirds are the ones that do the mimicking and do the amazing performances and have the gorgeous feathers so uh, that's why I made him my protagonist but I always knew I wanted to feature Lila and as it turns out, female lyrebirds are really fascinating as well. They can actually do the same, they have the same mimicking ability as male lyrebirds. So they can sing all the same songs, but they just choose the right time to do it. They 
um, and they'll only do it when it's that there is a dire threat or um, yeah, when they're warding off predators or that kind of thing. So they sort of save it for the more serious scenarios. Um, so I've sort of weaved that idea into this new story and also the, you know, incredible disastrous summer that we've just had in the Blue Mountains with the bushfires. I really felt that, um, and, and the, the news that 80% of the Blue Mountains National Park had been destroyed and including around 50% of the superb lyrebirds natural habitat. So that just made me feel so devastated and I wanted to um, tell another story about lyrebirds in the Blue Mountains. So I've weaved in uh, the concept of bushfires as well into this story. And Jody, what are the, I guess, your timelines around, around this book and how can people you know, get involved and help out? Yeah, well, so yes, we are currently crowdfunding, although there's going to be only a short, tiny bit of time by the time this podcast comes out um, to help make that happen. So the crowdfunding finishes on the 30th of April on Plausible. And um, yes, we're really looking to get it over the line there because th th this is the only way we'll be able to make this book happen. But following that, um, if everything goes smoothly, uh, it's going to be published late November, early December, so before Christmas. So what that means is um, if you uh, make a pledge now to our campaign, um, you'll get a, a wonderful Christmas present for the, the little person in your life come December, which is a really good way of looking at it. This isn't just making a donation to a fundraiser. This is buying a thing um, by making a pledge to our campaign. So it's really worthwhile. Jodie, how, how do you feel when you're in the moment and you're writing? Are you aware, are you conscious, or is it that feeling of flow where things just seem to be happening out of your control? Mm, um, I guess it, there's a bit of both. Sometimes it just flows. Um, but the majority of stuff that I write at the moment um, creatively is quite short. Um, I imagine if I was writing a longer you know, novel, then I'd really want to get into some kind of flow because, you know, the word length is, in, you know, huge <laughs> in comparison to a short story. Um, I find I'm, I'm quite like I'll pour over a line or a sentence or something for days and weeks and it will obsess me like one sentence. Um, when I'm writing a children's story. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's different. And if I'm writing a, um, a newspaper article, I'll definitely get into more of a flow and I'll almost write as though I'm reading. So I almost pretend that I'm reading the article and in that way, the words flow and the structure just flows because I'm, putting myself in the position of a reader. Yeah, so there's different sort of mental shifts for the different pieces of writing. And is that something that you've consciously developed over the years as a writer or it's something that you've always had in you as those kind of tips and tricks to writing? I think for journalism pieces, definitely um, 
yeah, I learned how to do that and I found that it made it a lot quicker that way because I'm always on a deadline for those kinds of things. So you can't just ponder over a sentence. You've got to get the sentence out and your piece of writing has to have immediate structure and make sense immediately. So yeah, I kind of honed that skill pretty quickly. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Changing pace a little bit, you referenced earlier that a way for you to explore the Blue Mountains when you, you moved here was to, to get out and run, um, mm-hmm. long distance running. And then in 2014, with no formal coaching, uh, you decided to run a marathon. Uh, what sparked that idea, Jody? Yeah, well, running had has always been a part of my life. Um, since I stopped horse riding, um, and I needed something to do during uni. And um, I kind of got into it then, but only very short distances. And throughout my 20s, it was sort of, you know, a, maybe a half hour run before work or and every other day, not very often. But I always loved it and I knew I loved it. And then slowly the distances kept sort of increasing and uh, until, you know, I ran a city to surf and then i entered in a half marathon and then I and then someone I knew was running a marathon and I thought oh maybe I could do that and um so I just yeah I just locked it in and I entered and I thought oh well I just looked online for sort of what kind of training you kind of had to do and um and I was training here in the Blue Mountains for a marathon in Sydney and I guess the the running in the hills here <laughs> played to my advantage and then I got down on the flat and I couldn't believe how easy it felt because I'd just been running hills and stairs and and that the whole time so yeah it was it was interesting. And what was the experience like I guess the first time around because you're you're pushing yourself to distances that you potentially never have been before you know when you get to kilometer 30 like what what's the mindset that first time going into a marathon? Yeah, oh, I just, I was really excited. I knew I'd be able to do the distance because a few weeks before the marathon, I'd done 37K and I thought, yeah, I've, you know, I can do this. Um, or maybe I'd done more. Maybe I did, went, pushed it up to 40. I can't really remember. But so I knew I'd do the distance. What I didn't predict was uh, stomach trouble <laughs> and sort of those, um yeah unpredictable things i yeah i i didn't realize that that would be an issue so i got to i think 30k in my first marathon and i had a gel and i just got the most massive stitch imaginable and i was like oh god i have 12k to go and i've got to run with this piece of glass in my stomach kind of thing and um, so, yeah, I hadn't really had to encounter that mental battle in my training. So that was a real eye-opener in the first marathon that I did, that 
those kinds of really debilitating challenges are going to crop up and they, they always will. And how you deal with that is, is just part of the experience. And that marathon, it must have ignited something for you, Jody, because in 2018, you shifted to ultra trail running and with the guidance of Brendan Davies, who featured on series one of the podcasts, you went mm. on to win uh, the Mount Solitary Ultra in a course record. Did you mm. surprise yourself with that or did you feel like you'd, you'd done enough hard work to, to reap the, the rewards and successes of that? Oh, I definitely surprised myself. I had no idea. I really, yeah, I, my first um, ultra that I did, you know, okay in was the six foot track last, not last, yeah, last year, <laughs> the six foot track last year. Um, and that surprised me. And then, and then I thought, oh, surely that was a fluke. And, um, and then, so it, I went into Mount Solitary, you know, I was doing pretty hard training, but I, I was not feeling um, very good at all. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I was really tired and, you know, cause I'd been training so hard and I hadn't really tapered for that event. And I just thought, Oh, this is just a training run and I'll just um, enjoy the process. And I, I had a few process goals and then it just turned out really well. I just, everything fell into place and I was such a happy run. It was great. And what distance was that specific run, Jody? Oh, I think Mount Solitary Ultra is 46. Yeah, 46 kilometres. Mm. From a tactical perspective, do you go about breaking that into lots of little runs or you prefer to look at, you know, one big number as the 46 kilometres? Yeah, well, when you're running through the mountains, kilometres kind of don't matter. It's the elevation. So Mount Solitary Ultra has, uh, oh, is it around 2,400 metres elevation, um, accumulative? So that's a lot. That's heaps of hills, like mountains, up and down the whole way. People have said that it's the hardest, most mountainous, um, you know, ultra around that distance in Australia. Don't quote me on that, but you know, it's up there. And um, yeah, so you kind of look at it in segment, break it down in segments of you've got that climb and that climb and this bit of flat and that downhill. And yeah, it's sort of more that rather than distance. I, I don't tend to look at my watch or know how far I am in terms of kilometers in races. I just know like <laughs> the climbs that I've got to do and what's coming next. What is it specifically about ultra trail running that has you hooked? Do you think Jody? Ah, oh, that's a great question. I love talking about this. <laughs> I just love my yeah the thing I love most is on the long runs and encountering that point where you you feel really fatigued and um you know your body's telling you to stop but you find something inside of you that urges you to go on and I really like that thing that I find in myself I really like that person um, who clicks into gear at that point and is because I find, I don't know, I have this voice of sort of 
kindness to myself, like, and positivity. And, you know, sometimes I'm not always that positive, but often I, I just engage in this like other level to myself. Um, and this sort of positive voice takes over and just seems to be able to carry me through. And it has done a lot of times and, um, you get to the end of it and you go, oh, that like, I just, I just did that and, um, push through that barrier. And there's such a deep feeling of satisfaction that comes with that as well as the endorphins. <laughs> and is that satisfaction of pushing through the barriers of fatigue, the negative thoughts and the exhaustion, is that more satisfying than the result that you get in terms of where you place that kind of intrinsic satisfaction? Does that tend to trump that final result? Yeah, definitely. The result, if you get a good result, if you get on the podium, that's just a bonus. If I can, my goal is always to have, well, it's to hopefully have a good run. And by that, I mean, I hope my mental state stays positive when I do inevitably encounter those challenges. And um, yeah, that's really my goal to stay in the zone um, and you know there's been a few runs where I've come out of going you know that wasn't the greatest run and it's because I let some negative thoughts get the better of me and and as soon as you do that it just goes downhill um, yeah so the best runs have been when I've maintained that level of um, focus and come through the other side knowing that I gave it my all and yeah, that's a satisfying thing. You touched on overcoming challenges, which no doubt you come across a lot of them on an ultra trail run. But how has your life changed since running ultras? Do you feel more resilient? Do you feel more determined? Has it, has, has it flowed onto your broader life more than just the running? Yeah, that's really interesting because running for me was never before sort of I, before I got into these bigger competitions um, it was always just for enjoyment and to keep fit and stay healthy and I just enjoyed it um, yeah there was a little bit of a feeling last year when I was um, aiming for some big races um, of this feeling that oh I'm, a, I'm an athlete now I, I was really I thought I didn't have the mindset of an athlete and I actually um, went out and read a bunch of books and like listened to some audio books on how do you get into that mindset of like, because I really wanted to push myself on the long runs, but when it came to training short distances and increasing my speed, that really ignited the fear inside me. And I just thought, is this a physical barrier or is this a mental barrier? And I wanted to understand how other athletes think um, to overcome these challenges in their training. And I remember reading like a, about a, oh, the US Olympic marathoner, Dina Castor. And she just had such a different mindset to me. She's just so super positive and wants to just tear herself apart on the track every time she trains and, you know, so um, passionate about reaching those times and those goals. And I was like, oh God, that's not me. So I kind of had to um, 
take on some tips from the people that I read on how to get into the athlete's mindsets to, to hopefully give me a bit of an edge in training. But yes, it definitely disrupted my, it changed me. It changed me. I think of training very differently now. I'm not sure whether it's a good, a good thing or not. It's a little bit more serious now. So, but I guess that's what this strange time is right now with um, COVID-19. It's making, with so many races cancelled, it's making everyone reevaluate why they're running and why they're in their sport um, because it's forcing us all to um, rediscover the love of it and just, and it's been a really nice thing to run for fun lately. Mm. And that mentality, that fun and enjoyment and exploration like we touched on before, is that something that you want to continue to bring into your running? Yes. I think there's no point in doing it if you're not enjoying it. And there will be so many days when you don't feel like getting out there. And it took me a while to realise that that's completely normal, even with the people who do it for a living it's completely normal to not want to get out there one day or several days um but so now my way of dealing with that those thoughts if they ever crop up is just warm up just warm up just go for like a couple of k or 1k whatever distance it is that is comfortable to you um and you say say to yourself like if you get to that point and you want to turn back, you can, but you never turn back. You, you keep going. So it's, I just tell myself, just warm up. Um, that's the only expectation. So yeah, lower your expectations and that eases you in. And then you find you can usually push out more than you intended to. It's an interesting point you make. Do you find that there's correlation then between that mentality of just getting started? So what we spoke about earlier with writing, like sometimes you just got to put, pen to paper or you know finger to keyboard just to get things going and then before you know it you, you've put out a whole heap of content do you find correlation between the two yeah definitely you've got to put perfectionism aside because that will only inhibit you in anything that you're doing so definitely just to get started lower that bar and then you're on your way and um you know it's always better to produce something even if it's crap whether creating something or running reps on the track or going on a long run than to have done nothing. So yeah, definitely that's the way to get into it. I was fortunate enough to um, be at the 2019 um, OCR, the obstacle course, hundred mile race in Lower Portland last year. I was supporting a few friends and it was really yeah. interesting seeing every lap of 11 kilometers, the runners would come past and, noticing I guess the different mentality and approach that each one had you know one was had steely determination one seemed to have blind optimism the next person was quite conversational do you um, have I guess a almost an alter ego or mindset that you deliberately take on in a race or do you try be as natural as possible yeah I've heard about people who have alter egos and um, imagine themselves as superheroes and that kind of thing I don't specifically do that, but I do notice when I'm going into a race and it's nothing that I've consciously decided, but I get very calm and I'm not 
you know, always a calm person at all, but some kind of calmness comes over me because I realized that there are way too many things, way too many variables for me to control right now that I just have to sort of surrender to whatever happens, happens. And there's something really calming in doing that. Um, it's like, you know, when you jump on a plane, you have to surrender to whatever happens. Like you have no idea, is this plane going to make it? It's, it's the same sort of feeling. It, I, I just become very relaxed mostly anyway. Um, yeah, which is really interesting. So I don't have an alter ego, but I do notice that that um, calmness does come over me. Jody, motherhood was a monumental life shift for you. What were the biggest changes that you faced? Uh, time, wow. Yeah, your life is not yours anymore. Um, and of course I knew that going in, but you, you really have to realise that, um, yeah, it really becomes apparent you are at the service of this new hu human being and that's fine. Um, and the balance does come back to an extent as I'm discovering, which is, you know, how it should be. But yeah, I, I think, um, suddenly, you know, and especially now we're all about ourselves going through our twenties and then suddenly it's, it's not about you at all. <laughs> so I guess that was just a, a big adjustment and I was happy to um give myself over but then it gets to a point where you're sort of like okay I'm gonna have a little bit of my body back now and yeah you kind of balance things out but yes I it was an interesting transition and did you find obviously there's a lot of sleepless nights and, and mm. long days that come with it but did you feel broadly more energized I guess fulfilling in terms of that you are now living for, for someone else or for other people? Was there a, sen a sense of fulfilment that came with that? Yeah, definitely. I think having kids is really a creative process in itself because, and it just throws challenges at you left, right and centre every minute of every day. And it's a constant uh, adventure in self-discovery and human discovery, just working out how you respond to things and because you're influence you're in control like you're influencing this person's life and childhood and memories and you have this incredible impact and how are you going to manage that and how do you want to um, shape the path ahead of this child so that they can grow into themselves in the optimum way so i mean that's putting weight a lot of pressure on uh the role of parenting but yeah it, it's just a, a constant um challenge every day to work out whether you're doing a good job or not often not <laughs> but you do your best <laughs> do you think there's a i guess a link you spoke about when you, you go to start a race and you have this overwhelming relaxation and calm feeling because yeah. you know what's going to happen is going to happen do you feel that with with motherhood and, and being a mother of two daughters that yes, you want to put them on the right path and, and set them up as best you can, but to a degree, they're going to grow up to, to be who they're going to be. Do you find yourself kind of bouncing between those thought processes? 
I think I have to remember that more <laughs> that they what's going to happen will happen with my kids rather than putting pressure on myself to help them live their best lives kind of thing I, I think I definitely have to give that responsibility over a bit more um, because that can be sort of anxiety inducing if you think about it too much yeah so I, I need to work on that Jodie, you listed a challenge for you is, um, I guess, being in the, the right now, and I'll say that in inverted commas, right mm. now. But what does that mean for you? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's, I feel like, you know, we can all pinpoint big challenges that we've faced in our lives, but I, I really think often the most overwhelming challenge is the one that you're facing right now. So whether that's, um, getting out for a run that morning or hitting a deadline or getting dinner on the table. I just, I think if we can learn and if I can learn, I'm still learning how to deal with those immediate challenges that we face every minute um, in a mindful, um, in a mindful way, then we've solved many of life's problems right there and um so yeah that's what i'm always constant co constantly trying to learn and hone my skills at is how, how to deal with day-to-day -day challenges that crop up and how to deal with them calmly and mindfully and i think running long distances helps me uh sort of encounter the or develop the mindset to be able to help me deal with those things hmm. do you think that's one of the addictions of long distance running of adventure sports where there's an element of pushing your body so far there's an element of i guess risk and fear that comes with it but the addiction comes in you get to live in the moment there and then there's no distractions there's no technology is, is that what you find that it allows you to immerse yourself right there and then definitely i tell people that i go out for a three and a half hour, four hour run. And they're like, what? You run for that far? And, but when you're out there, time really does change. It, it's just changes. And I, I wouldn't say it goes quickly, but at the end of that four hours, you're like, it's like, yeah, time did fly. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely love reaching that point of where, time stretches and speeds up and it's not about time anymore it's about right there and then and um your senses become so much more alive and yeah i mean gosh that that feeling is definitely one of the draw cards for sure when i i emailed you prior to the show i asked for i guess a couple of successes that you've found have probably been your top three in life and you came back with a fantastic response which was what counts as a success? Is it winning something or reaching a point of insight or understanding or contentment about some aspect of life? Um, I found that for myself very eye-opening and um, quite grounding as well. Do you find that success in your life is, is hitting these milestones or is it more about living a, an enriched life? Yeah, I definitely count my successes as, yeah, I, I think um, the feeling of reaching for your potential and the sense of satisfaction that comes from that. So pushing yourself 
even if it's a failure, even if you don't win, even if you don't get there, the, the, it's the process that you've undergone and the satisfaction that you draw that is the success, you know, and the, and the, um, yeah, the realizations or understanding that you get from that experience is, and, and how you then translate that into, um, yeah, how, oh gosh, now I'm losing my point of thought, train of thought. But yeah, it's definitely the, the insights that you get from your experiences are more the successes than the winning or losing for sure. And do you believe in life, Jody, that as people we, we find ourselves in terms of there's a, a path laid out for us and we find it at some point or that we create ourselves, that we every decision we make, mm. every day we live is shaping our journey? Yeah, I've heard of people finding themselves and <laughs> I always think, man, I feel like I'm constantly evolving and it's sort of like is an artwork ever finished? Uh, do humans really reach a, a destination in self-discovery? I'm not sure. I think it's always moving and always evolving and we can always be better in inverted commas. We can always learn um, how to be um, more, um, I'm trying to find the word, um, just better human beings. Um, kinder more empathetic there's so many aspects of our characters that we can dig deeper into and um, improve so I think that's always going to elude us and um, yeah I don't think that potential is ever reached and I think that's the journey of life to use the terrible cliche but yeah I I don't think there's a destination I think it's just it's the process Jodie have you taken the time to kind of stop and reflect on what what's been a pretty amazing past 10 years you know since you moved to the Blue Mountains you've got a young family you've uh, published one book almost two um, you've uh, represented Australia at ultra trail running in, in Portugal have you taken that time to stop and look back yeah it's pretty crazy uh, that all sounds really great I, if you told me that uh, like you know 20 years ago that I'd be representing Australia in ultra running I just would have laughed um and if you told me I'd published a book I would have been like yes <laughs> um but oh, I'm really glad that this is where it's life has taken me and um you know, I can't wait to see what's next. I just think it's um, it's all a big adventure. And this time right now that we're in is such a challenge and the world has just done a complete backflip. So who knows where any of our lives are headed from here. And that's part of the adventure, isn't it? We don't know what's coming next. You've just got to surrender to what will be will be. And that was probably going to be my next question in terms of what, what is next for you or are you literally, you know, taking it little bit by little bit, especially given the current situation? Mm. Yeah, well, next for me is uh, publishing this book, but I'd really like to explore where um, children's book writing will take me. I've got so many ideas that I want to bring into the world. But you know what? I, I just think 
all I aim to do is just keep exploring creativity and keep creating because that's what gives me the pure joy in my life and creating whether that's um, an artistic thing or being creative in your work or for me running is a creative process as well I, I just think exploring that side of um, making things happen in the world is just yeah the adventure that I look forward to so that's really what's next I don't have any firm goals of who I want to be and um or you know you know I don't want to be a movie star there's no name to what I want to be it's just um to keep delving in into my creativity and seeing where that takes me Jodie, how do you, people find out more about the great work you're doing, uh, websites, social media? Where, where can they support the campaign, but also, yeah, learn more, learn more about your great journey? Sure. Well, to support Lila the Lyrebird, you can just head to possible.com and search for Jodie McLeod or Lila the Lyrebird. Um, but otherwise, you'll find me at my website, jodiemcleod.com. And McLeod is spelt M-C-L-E-O-D. Jody J O D I E. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Jody McLeod Writer, Twitter, Jody McLeod, and Facebook, Jody McLeod Writer. So I'm all over. Just Google it. <laughs> and finally, Jody, do you have any, I guess, advice for anyone, not even runners or writers, but people who are, have a project or something they've been looking to do? Any advice for them to, to get things moving and um, I guess, yeah, try to, to chase that passion. Yeah, I mean, if you've got the idea, a really helpful thing to do is write down the very small steps that it will take to get your make your idea a reality. So every big goal can be broken down into its tiniest little steps and that just makes it so much more manageable. So publishing a book, that sounds like an enormous feat but when I broke it down to just hitting certain deadlines, certain goals week after week, it was just a process in the end. And it's the same with running training. It's just a process. You just have to be consistent and committed and have the discipline and dedication and it will just unfold before you. It doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to um, traumatize yourself over um, being perfectionist about it. Just do it. Jody, a huge, huge thank you for joining us on the Passion and Perspective podcast. We really appreciate you sharing what is quite an amazing journey and, and for your openness throughout and, and wishing you and your family all the best. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by The Western Weekender.